down among Brazilians Coffee beans grow by the billions So they've got to find those extra cups to fill They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil You can't get cherry soda Cause they've got to fill that quota And the way things are I'll bet they never will They've got a zillion tons of coffee in Brazil No tea Tomato juice. Have you ever been to Breeze to Parlor in Nashville, East Nashville? Uh, I think I have. Yeah. It's like you can get a cup of coffee for like $9. Sure, yeah. Nice nice discount there. <laughs> no, I think when I moved into East Nashville, there was like seven coffee shops within like a half a mile. Yeah. So it's a little ridiculous. But everyone would make fun of Barista Parlor because you had to have like a rented mustache and suit top to get into the coffee shop. <laughs> Uh, Nashville's really funny. I mean, I think Seattle's funny with the hipsters, but Nashville hipsters are even funnier. They're even they're just clownier than than any other hipster I've seen. <laughs> they look like the old school dumbbell lifter in the circus, you know, with the big like five hundred pounds on each side, the, cur- the curly you know? mustache. But they love their coffee. And I read a couple articles. Millennials are spending tons of money on coffee, and people are always like. You'll spend five bucks a day on coffee, but you won't support anything else, and you think everything else is so expensive. So anyway... They're spending more on coffee than saving for their retirement. Yeah. They're living in the now, man. They would just want that perfect sip. I mean, it's an obsession. So in uh, in 2008, throw out some facts, coffee officially passed soft drinks. What? Yeah. It's bigger than soft drinks since, since 2008. Wow. And also, we've been talking about bringing on more female guests onto the show. And uh, I think we've been doing a good job at that, booking some more uh, women guests. I think we have like two or three lined up, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're terrible at that, and we recognize that, and we're trying to fix that. So if you're a girl and you listen to our show and you're like, what are all these dudes doing just talking about dude stuff from a dude perspective? We're sorry. We're trying to change that. <laughs> yeah. With a crawler. Duncan doesn't take a lot of skill. They've got an awful lot of coffee. An awful lot of coffee. Man, they got a gang of coffee in Brazil. Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, where we'd rather bean roast than mean roast. I'm your host, Matt, and that's your other host, Nate. And today we're going to talk about coffee. I like that intro. It's pretty It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do we have any troll mail? Any troll mail today? I don't think we have any troll mail. I mean, we've gotten some, some mail, but it just seems like that segment uh, lately has become pretty self-congratulatory, which I just don't like. I like, I want people to be mad at us. It seems like we're just, we're just cultivating a, a, a collective of people who agree with us and appreciate <laughs> us, and I just don't like that. So, so yeah. would one of you out there please just disagree vehemently with me or Nate? Yeah. Um, maybe preferably just say Bigfoot doesn't exist. Say Nate's <laughs> crazy. Then we'll read it on the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've been getting lots of good emails though. A lot more email lately. Yeah, and uh, that's always awesome. We always read them, even though if we don't read them on the show. Yeah, I take that back. It's congratulatory emails are very encouraging. You know, we do yeah. we do read them and we we thank you for them. So if you're going to send us something nice, you could still do that. Yeah. 
Send us, send us all you got, and, and, and maybe a little more. And we've been throwing out the idea of, hey, spare one coffee a month. There you go. Support Don't Feed the Trolls on Patreon.com. You know, we are a nonprofit, you guys. And the, the, the nonprofit line is always, for the cost of one coffee a month, you could fund our show on Patreon.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you feel like you benefit from the conversations we have and the interviews we do here on Don't Feed the Trolls, uh, then please go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash don't feed the trolls. And, uh, you know, we have no new patrons to thank this week. So why don't we just go ahead and thank all 81 of you current patrons for supporting the show. You make this whole thing feel even more worthwhile. And we appreciate you guys. Yeah. We're going to bring on Michael Weissman. Uh, she's a published freelance journalist and author of three books. Uh, she writes about food, families. Obviously, she's written about coffee, small business, and American culture. Um, her work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Saver, and Salon.com. Wow. So she is much more uh, of a troll starver than you and I, Matt, so far. Astute. Very astute, yes. Yeah. She's got some stuff. So let's bring her on the show and talk about coffee and uh, why hipsters are crazy. Um, our podcast is called Don't Feed the Trolls, and one thing we talk a lot about is creating stuff, and you've been writing for a long time. That's what the show's all about, you know, starving your trolls and getting stuff created. Maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of how you got started writing and how you uh, wrote God in a Cup, the obsessive quest for the perfect coffee. Um, for those of you out there who don't know, that's the book that you wrote in 2008, right? Yeah. Yeah, and now I'm starting to write about... I'm working on another book, but I'm also starting to write about coffee again. Just because so many interesting things were happening in the industry, I didn't want to be left out. And to be more truthful, I'd like to do a second edition of God in a Cup. So that was a reason to um, do some more reporting. God in a Cup, that's how people feel about coffee. (laughs) You know, that it is that important. It's a quote from a, um, a coffee competition in Panama, where this very exotic, almost delicate tea-like coffee um, made its appearance about 12 years ago, 11, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And people didn't know where it came from or what it was. And one of the judges at the um, Panama annual competition said, I think his exact words, although I am not a religious man, when I tasted this coffee, I saw the face of God in a cup. <laughs> so you, that's, that is kind of the obsession, right? That you can have a religious experience uh, with, with consumption of coffee. Um, a really great espresso is known as a God shot. 
This is wow. serious business, God. <laughs> yeah. So people are, are worshiping in a way. You know, that part of their brains is is connecting on a spiritual level to the consumption of coffee. It's not just that fuel that starts your day. It's the thing that uh, you quest for. It's not Ritalin with boiling water. And I keep interrupting you, and I'll stop doing. We that. like you talking more than us. Like I read a couple of your articles, and you were saying how. Sometimes the baristas will refuse to serve ice in the cup because it will ruin the drink, things like that. Yeah. Um, well, that's the, that's the hipster thing. And, um, you know, I think that hipster culture, wherever it appears, whether it's San Antonio, Texas, or um, Brooklyn, is always a little bit about exclusion. Right. It's about we know something and you don't. Um, uh-huh. And... That's one end of it. The other end is that there really is a complexity and a beauty in this drink. And I think we're living in a moment when, in terms of food and drink, people feel a need to to, to be here now. Hmm. Some of the coffee movement is about valuing this small daily thing and then discovering how far it can go. And I think, to me, there's beauty in that. Right. Well, we were just talking about this article that says millennials are spending more on coffee than saving for retirement, which is kind of, it just goes to show that the moment of this this, this scene or this uh, generation, the obsession with that that temporary consumption of that thing that you love is more important than your retirement. And so I think this generation is specifically more uh in, in tune with the moment, I would say, um, in some senses, obviously we're all escaping through our through the the windows of our phones um, every second of every day. But in in some sense, there is there is a culture of like let's enjoy right now. Do you think that's more just a sociological thing? Well, I think there's trend and counter trend. Getting lost in the phone also leads to people doing board games, for for instance, which I find so interesting. Hmm. There's a cafe near here at, at near the University of Maryland where you walk in and they're serving this really nice coffee and they have 350 different board games. Huh. I find that um, actually quite touching. I think the millennial thing is a, is a search for meaning. Hmm. And so it's not just um, about I, I want this coffee now and I'm not going to save. It's about I'm going to have this little cup of coffee which is very delicious and I'm going to try to enjoy it. Um, I, I see a lot of this as um, counter to the depersonalization that we're all living with because of the online world. I do think the other side of coffee in terms of saving money and all that, and blah, blah, blah. There's millennials and there's millennials and there's coffee lovers and coffee lovers. And there's the people who go to Starbucks and where they have recently raised their prices. I noticed mm-hmm yesterday because near my office there's a starbucks and i have to admit i go there periodically (laughs) but then there are the people who order really beautiful coffee and make it at home so then you're you can save if you're so um inclined and you can drink your beautiful coffee so Hmm. i i don't i don't i really don't see it as an either or i um um i'm going to reveal how ancient person i am but i have a i have a son who was born in uh, 1983 also, and I see he, well, he's very much a foodie and has been in the food business, but he and his wife, I see how they operate. They buy really great coffee, and they also mm. are trying, they're attending to their, you know, building a financial present and a financial future. But 
Are they typical? I don't know. That, that brings um, up a good point that millennials might be more willing to just spend that five bucks now than hold on to that five bucks and put that five dollars away. And I've read some people say that that's how the inner city works versus like, you know, the suburbs is that some people feel like, hey, I just got a hundred bucks. I don't know if I'm going to I don't know if I'm going to ever have a hundred bucks again. I'm going to spend this money right now on myself and enjoy myself today. Well, that's the drug thing. That there's actually sociology about that. About, um, and I I think it might be outdated sociology, but you know that when people don't feel like they have a lot of choices, they go for immediate gratification. Right. I don't think that's the coffee thing because I think it more has to do with it's not like I'm going to buy myself these these really expensive sneakers and show everybody that I have them. It's really about I'm a a connoisseur. I know something. I am able, though I may work in this crapola job, (laughs) I am able to appreciate something that's almost artistic in its flavor uh, profile. Right, yeah. And that makes me, you know, appreciate myself as well as I appreciate this beverage. Because the way I view the times we're living in is people desperately want to be different from everybody else of course whenever you want to be different from everyone else you join a group and then you become you become the same yeah (laughs) that's kind of what i'm seeing is that like you know coming from the touring world and bands it's like so many of my friends post these photos they got the bean wear and they got the perfect grinder and they've got the calculated water you know and then they got the poor they got the whole system the chemex system and you don't forget the scale scale. but they don't do this for tomato sauce or olive oil other things you enjoy on a day. We used to do that with pot in high school. Right, right. And you may do it with wine. Okay, here's Weissman, one of Weissman's first rules of the, the world, is that you can only be obsessive about so many things. Right, okay. You know, there's just not enough time in the day. So you might be obsessive about coffee, and you might really love good wine, or you might really like beer. But you really can't be obsessive about more than two things, because they're... You know, and earn a living and ever leave your house. I I (laughs) mean, I do know some people who have such exquisite taste that they're obsessive about everything. They get bogged down in that pretty good. But, Uh, but, But when did coffee become cool? Oh, I can tell you exactly when coffee became cool. This because this is in this is in my book. And see, what happened is 15 years ago when travel became very cheap, we started to have co- communications with um, very obscure places. You know, cell phones appeared and other forms of, you know, and and the internet. A whole generation who are now older than you guys, um, they're now in their mid 40s, of Guys who maybe had been baristas in high school, they started traveling to Oregon to buy coffee. They Coffee had always been a kind of colonial uh, guys in white suits making deals that um, mm. shut out the poor people, you know, and the brown people. and Like the old, like, like the new golf or the old golf. <laughs> yeah, like the old golf. Only rich people play golf, yeah. Only it was international. It was this... It was it was really a hangover of colonialism, hmm. and for a lot of reasons we don't have to go into. But that that's not an exaggeration. That's the way the business was done. But then that all got um, upended when international travel became cheaper and communications became much more started to democratize the industry, and so you didn't just have one guy who um, in a white suit at the Intercontinental Hotel who was buying and selling and dealing and. You know, and buying up coffee from maybe 10,000 small farmers and aggregating it all 
and selling it and, um, and paying the farmer the smallest amount of money imaginable, you hmm. suddenly had, pe- you had people who were enjoying coffee who could go to a coffee farm or to a large co-op or a large farm or a small farm and start seeing where this was grown, who grew it. This phenomenon completely changed the industry. And it is out of that, those two things, communications and travel, that the modern specialty coffee industry grew. And that you have to say, it's, it's like this specialty coffee that I write about is all post-Starbucks. Okay. In, in okay. coffee parlance, all this is the third wave. But, I mean, those um, categories are actually kind of arbitrary. But And, and all, the two things that I said about travel and communications have only gotten more so. So now, if you have a, if you have a young guy who becomes a roaster in uh, whatever he's, I was going to say something vulgar, but um, you know, in some in some middle in middle western city, because like you know Kansas City or Ann Arbor mm-hmm. or blah blah wherever, um, and it's easier to do that where rents are cheaper. So the middle America is a good place to do it. So right. you can be buying coffee from a farmer that you're in contact with every single day. Right. There really has huh. been a revolution in the business. And yeah, speaking of, of traveling, maybe since you're really knowledgeable about this, can you help us and the average listener understand like kind of the overview of steps and how coffee's grown, all the hands it goes through before it gets into our hands, I guess? Wow. Yes, I can. And it's... Um, as quick as possible. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, I'm going to do it. There, there's a chain. There's a supply chain. And all I could say is that the more I the more I know, the more I am stunned and amazed that anyone ever gets a decent cup of coffee because it's very complicated. <laughs> so always the richest farmers wanted to live down the mountain, closer to town. Well, it turns out that as people have gotten interested in really high quality coffee and they started to um, disaggregate lots like in wine, you know, paying attention to where it grew, which farm, right. that the poor people won this because um, the best coffee is grown high up the mountain. So the <laughs> crappy farms that poor people were allowed to have, I mean, I'm putting that in a crude way, but they right, turned huh. out to, to um, produce the best coffee. Yeah, that's interesting because I've been told, like, in America, the poor the poor people live down on, in the city and the rich people live up in the hills, but it's the opposite in foreign countries. Right. Well, but, he, but in America also that's switching, right? That is rotating, yeah. I mean, I live in Seattle, and that's that's exactly true. Like everyone, I'm thinking of like Berkeley, out. Berkeley, California, where you're like everyone lives up in the Berkeley Hills and or Oakland Beverly Hills. Hills, right? Yeah, well, yeah, duh, yeah. <laughs> very true yeah. of LA. But well, um, that's interesting. So the so the poor people got shafted and kind of got stuck with the hilltop farms, but that's the best place to grow coffee, and now they're getting bought out. Or no, no. And what happened is that the um, there started to be these um, around. The 15 years, 12 years ago, when um, our young coffee buyers started showing up in Colombia and, um, and, and El Salvador and Guatemala, a series of competitions were um, organized. They really facilitated this sort of um, how we could actually put it almost this, this well, the emergence of the specialty coffee industry um, that hmm. we're, we're talking about. And... So, but anyway, you wanted me to talk about. So here, here's a farmer. He grows the he grows the coffee. You know, the higher the altitude, that means cold nights, warm days. 
you know, the, the more, diff- the, the sweeter and more complex the coffee, but it's very complicated to grow it because you have to um, prune and you have to this, and there are 900 million different cultivars and weather is a problem and climate change and blah, 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 blah. But say the farmer grows his coffee and he has a relationship with um, an importer, a high quality importer, and um, he's going to sell Say his farm is divided up into six different lots and he's going to sell them at different price points. And when the coffee is picked, the best coffee has to be picked not once, but you have to only pick the red cherry. So you go through the, you know, I mean, the pickers have to go through multiple times. And then the coffee, this is a piece that nobody realizes, is generally it's fermented like chocolate. Um, it goes through what is called a washing process, and there's various right. methods of fermentation, and they often involve this farmer being up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to make sure, standing there with his hands in cold water, making sure that the fermentation hasn't gone too far or too little or blah, blah, blah. So then the coffee, wow. they take that out of there and has to be dried, and you have to put it on drying. Oh. You know, there's a process of putting... So it's a real art, like more so than just growing corn. Oh, my God. Much more complicated than wine. Many, many, many mustaches. Or growing a very very thin mustache that's curled (laughs) at the end. (laughs) Right. It's complicated. It's way more, in my opinion, it's way more complicated than wine. Blah, 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 blah. This All this stuff is done to it. It's dried. It's... There's this outside um, chaff that has to be blown off. I mean, how many years does it take for it to just even like harvest the coffee is it like three or four years well i mean once you plant a tree i think it's about five years till you get a good um um till you get a good cup but then you get a harvest every year and in some places that are right there's even a harvest more than once a year but in general you get a harvest once a year coffee trees do grow wild in certain parts of the world like in ethiopia okay so then you've got this product and it's been um and it's been Fermented and it's say it has to be milled, it has to be exported. You have to put it in, you can't just send a hundred pounds of coffee, you have to bag it. You have to bag it in bags that are clean because if not, these co- these coffee beans are going to get moldy. Yeah, oh, yeah, terrible things happen. Those bags go to Folgers, they, they go to <laughs> um, they do not go to Folgers. The coffee chain till it gets to the importer in, you know, on the East Coast or the West Coast, you've probably gone through at least a dozen steps. Wow. And is this is this for specialty coffee, like where people know the farmer, or is this for just general, like, Starbucks? For Starbucks, it's this is the same process, except that Starbucks okay. is buying larger quantities, so it makes right. it a little less complicated in certain ways, but not in others. And... Along these 12 to 15 steps in the coffee chain, the producer's end, at each one of those steps, the coffee can get screwed up. At each one of those steps, the coffee, um, the coffee actually starts to shrink. Hmm. Paid one, the, you know, the Starbucks or, or Intelligentsia or whomever, the cafe owner paid one price and the coffee is literally shrinking before his very eyes. Right, per pound. And then, so you've got about a dozen steps there, and then it arrives in a um, warehouse in the U.S. And then it has to be go to the roaster, and it has to be roasted. Right. The high price of extremely excellent coffee is not a pretension. This isn't like the makeup industry. 
Where we right. make something that costs a buck and then we sell it for 20 in beautiful packaging. Right. When I was doing the research for this book, one of the things I realized is that cheap food is the devil. Um, it's yeah. not that I don't buy cheap food because we all do, but this is a real artful process. And the people who do it well and the farmers who do it well, they really are motivated by love. You're talking with my baby. Cigarettes and coffee And to tell you that Dog I've been so satisfied Honey, since I've met you Baby, since I've met you Is there anything else out there that we consume that has such a complex supply chain with so many steps, do you think? Have you noticed anything else? Chocolate, uh, wine to some extent. Ah, I mean, if you think about wine coming all the way from um, South Africa or New Zealand and the tremendous knowledge base of the people who make wine yeah but once it's once it's aged and then bottled then it's done and it's ready to pour wherever like you're not you don't have to you know ship it then roast it then make a latte out of it no and (laughs) right and and it's as long as it's reasonably i mean you don't want to store the wine in 100 degree weather right yeah i just get this video montage in my head when you're telling me all these steps where like you go through this video montage and that at the end it's like in a factory the coffee and it's it's being put into a K cup and then it goes into my Keurig and then I drink a terrible cup of coffee. Right. <laughs> oh man. At least you admit it, Matt. At least you admit it. There's something to be said for that analogy because or it it goes into um a cold brew which some one of my coffee friends called cold brew the specialty industries race to the bottom. You know, it's like taking wine and putting, sh- it's, it's, it's like, you know, cold brew is the equivalent of a wine cooler. Yeah. So why is that? Why does the heat, why is the heat so imperative? It's not that the heat is imperative. It's that the way cold brew is marketed, it's got tons of sugar in it and it doesn't really yeah. matter what it tastes like. Oh, it's just on ice. Yeah. It's really like a milkshake. Right. And you don't need to use really great coffee. Well, and you can just throw it in over, you can throw it in overnight and it'll, you know, it'll infuse the the cold water and then you got your little coffee drink in the morning. Right. Well, and I'm talking about commercially um, sold cold brew because cold brew has become a supermarket. Yeah, it's in Target and everywhere. Yeah, but it's a a, a high-end supermarket. Well, Target isn't high-end, but, you know, Whole Foods. But, I mean, once it hits Target, you know, it's everywhere. You yeah. know that there's been a race to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so it seems like there's probably about, what, 20 hands that have touched the coffee beans from beginning to end? Probably maybe even more? Many more. Many wow. more. Wow. And, and Maybe even 20 hands just by the time it hits Starbucks headquarters, right? Well, but not only that, but um, it's not just the 20 hands. It's like 10 profit centers of people who want to get paid right yeah and so then how do you make this a non-exploitive product yeah it gets pretty complicated well we've all seen the 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 fair trade printed on the coffee beans or on you know different bags we buy what does fair trade mean for our listeners and is it is it truly fair trade well 
fair trade, first of all, has nothing to do with the taste of the coffee. Fair trade is a, a, a label that you put on a farm that meets certain minimal labor standards. So okay. in that sense, fair trade is a good thing because um, it means that if there are hundreds of pickers on this farm, their children probably have a school and they probably have bathrooms. That's like very minimally they're getting paid. They're not slaves. Exactly. So fair trade, um, I mean, there's always been a love-hate relationship between the specialty industry, which is so quality obsessed, and fair trade, which is labor standard. But fair trade, I think everyone is coming around to that fair trade is actually not a, is a pretty good thing. Um, but it doesn't have, you know, you can go in to your local food co-op and buy some coffee beans that say fair trade. And believe me, that coffee can taste like, as the Yiddish word is, dreck. <laughs> because it has nothing to do with... Uh, quality. Quality, yep. So what are what are some, like, some things that you've seen? Because I've heard that people who work in the restaurant industry, if once they figure out how ketchup is made, they're like, I'll never have ketchup again. What are some things you've discovered about coffee that make you not want to drink it anymore maybe you haven't arrived there but maybe you go oh that's or certain types maybe 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 it changed the way that you selected i feel that way about cold brew i mean i think that i mean cold brew not as like i'm gonna cold brew this coffee and it's kind of a cool technique even though i think it's bullshit but (laughs) (laughs) cold brew as a category i wouldn't drink that um starbucks coffee is way over roasted it's Everyone says it. It's totally over-roasted. They do it for historical reasons because the origin of Starbucks is on the West Coast where the people came from the German coffee industry and traditionally Europeans dark-roasted coffee. But um, Starbucks is actually a pretty good corporate citizen as corporate citizens go, but it what it does to the coffee is a bit of a, you know, terrible. <laughs> the dark-roasting is really... It, it stands up to the milk very well. We have like a Starbucks that was just built here in Seattle. I'm from Seattle, so um, that was it's like this deluxe Starbucks where you get your nine dollar cup of coffee. Right, I've heard where it's different. It's different there than the at the other Starbucks, but uh, but yeah, it's just one store. It's the gourmet <laughs> McDonald's. Are you saying like the, yeah, the high end McDonald's? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have an interesting story about that Starbucks in Seattle because with the $9 coffee, because the head of the Specialty Coffee Association of America, who's a friend of mine and is a very quality driven, very decent, very honest guy, went up there when it opened and was invited to the grand opening. And he said, you know, he went there and he said, I wanted to hate it. I wanted to hate it. I wanted to hate it. And, you know, mm-hmm. firstly, he talked about the decor and how gorgeous the place it is. Right. Then he said, the coffee is really good. Howard Schultz is not an idiot. No, no, he's not. And he's not incapable of learning and and adapting. I mean, I I hate him forever. He got rid of our Sonics, but uh, he's a smart guy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've heard heard the the olive oil is kind of controlled by the mafia. Italian olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like 70% of what people think is olive oil in the United States is could be anything I've read. Who knows what's in it? Right. But that's Italian. Exactly. I, I won't buy Italian olive oil for just that reason. Because unless you really know, you know, unless you know the farm and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I don't think that's true of olive oil in general. I don't think the Spanish industry has the same. It neither has the commands the same super high prices, but 
I don't think it has the same issues. Well, this brings up uh, consumer responsibility and voting with your voting with your purchases, which Nate is very passionate about. Nate lives out on a farm and tries to get everything organic and drinks raw milk and is kind of a hippie, right, Nate? My <laughs> kind of guy, Nate. What's that? I said he's my kind of a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I respect the conviction um, because a lot of people, you know, they say. You know, there's there seems to be a disconnect between what they say they believe and what they actually believe. So, yeah, so it'd be like, I want responsible farming. I want all these things. But then they just go buy that cheap crap. That like you is... said, cheap food is the devil. I think everyone can consume a majority of their food responsibly. They just can't have every gadget and gizmo that comes out every six months. They have to make changes in their lifestyle. And like I, for instance, I bought some honey from this Amish farm about 30 minutes away from me, went to this Amish guy and I pull out this, he, I'm, I, you know, he's like hundred bucks. And I'm like, okay. So I bought like three gallons of honey from this guy and I opened it up and there's like bees legs and there's, it's not filtered at all. Everything's in there. Wow. And I love it that way. I'm like, yeah, I got the, I didn't go through any supply chain. Just went straight to the guy that makes it. And there's something table. exciting about that. Like, I got to it, you know? It's untainted. I, I come from that right? tribe. What? So, but did, how did it taste, this honey? Uh, I mean, it tastes great. I mean, I don't know if... I mean, it depends on what the bees are pollinating. Yes, them. yes. So, the, you know, like, we went to North Carolina, and there was this bee guy that was, like, totally into honey, and he had these specific flowers in this specific time of year, and he sold small jars, and they were super expensive, and that was, like, the best honey I've ever had. Right. But this is just, like, raw honey with all the goods, and I know that it's probably as legit as I can get it. Because honey has the same problem. It can be corn syrup. It can be all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and, and if people <clears throat> want to be responsible about coffee, Michael, maybe you can uh, help people make that decision at the grocery store. So say they're at Safeway or some you know big chain grocery store. How do they make a responsible decision or decision that um, you know that supports sustainably or responsibly grown coffee? Okay, I, I will answer that in one minute. I want to know, but Nate, do you eat meat? We went vegetarian for a year, and then I did more research, and now we just eat pastured. Right. We, everything's pastured now. We try to do 100% grass-fed, whatever it is. But that's what I've. That's the science that I came to, is that veganism is generally good, but you still miss out on a lot of vitamins and such. And so we kind of went back to pastured only, but yeah. Right, right. Because I mean, and that's sort of in my, and that's my analog with coffee. I mean, because we're, the, I'm, I feel the same way about meat, and uh, I try, you know, we, I don't insist that I know the name of every pig, but um, I try, I <laughs> yeah. try to, to buy meat that has been responsibly raised, and it tastes better no matter what. You know, it always tastes better. So. Oh, absolutely. Ideally, you know, in your little town, there's a roaster, and you go and you talk to him, and you buy or her, and you buy coffee from a roaster you know. And you talk to them about who they're buying their coffee from, and they're dying to tell you that because it who they're buying their coffee from is definitely a marketing um, has become you know the relationship between the roaster and the farmers become a marketing message right we know the source yes, we know the source, but on the other hand, there's some truth to that, and i for people who have the time and the inclination, I would say. If you don't understand what people are talking about when they talk about high quality coffee, if you have the time, you might just just the way you might visit um, uh, 
a, a, a vineyard in your, if there was one in your county, you might visit this local roaster and talk to them about the coffee, which they're dying to talk to you, and see if you can taste a difference. And, um, and then it's really about uh, experimenting. The coffee that you're going to buy in supermarkets is often old. And so doesn't this come down to personality, though, in, in a lot of ways, like some people are just utilitarian in nature, right? They just want to get that, that they just want their coffee, basic, black, they want cheap. Bud Light of coffee, right? And, and they're, they're never going to go sipping different roasts. There's just not in their tool belt. And it's not who they are. What do those people do when they're trying to, when they're in Costco? Costco is a pretty good company, actually. And I would, um, I mean, if you're in Costco and you're buying coffee, I would actually talk to somebody who works there because Costco tries to buy good coffee. Um, I, I know uh, some people who sell coffee to Costco. I mean, I would buy something in Costco. I would try, what I would urge people to do is don't buy, if you can possibly help it, don't buy five pounds. You know, buy one pound and taste it and see what you think. It finally, this is about taste. Um, it's yeah. about definitely do not put hazelnut syrup in the friggin' coffee because you want to <laughs> taste it. It's about giving yourself a chance to taste. And then you should do what makes you happy because life is too short. And what makes me happy. Do you sweeten your coffee at all? Do you put anything in it or just, just cream? It depends on the coffee. Um, if the coffee's not good, I definitely, I put hot milk in it and I put sugar. If the coffee's good, really good, I drink it black. And if the coffee's really good, but yeah. sometimes you want the comfort of milk. Maybe something that really bugs me about the hipster community is they don't care about all the levels of command. It's just the cool level. It's like just a showy level. Like I'm at the cool place with the cool atmosphere it's absolutely true in nashville it's a bunch of uh yeah projecting their ideal selves onto instagram through their cool coffee shop and if you walked up to them and said hey do you know where those beans come from they'd look at you like huh you'd be like that should be part of your obsession bro yes you've got to be obsessed about everything if you're going to call yourself a coffee guy but i think they are i mean i mean because they're you know coffee websites and blogging and i think there's a tremendous amount of of um Actually, very purest than pure kind of interest. Yeah. Um, I think that's why I brought you on because I felt like of all the things out there that it just seems like this is singled out as like you're if you're cool and you're young and you listen to Modest Mouse, you also know about the best coffee shop in. <laughs> Mate, you're here. you're showing your you're you're showing your age because I think nobody listens to Modest Mouse anymore. <laughs> Okay, you listen to you listen to the 1975 and sure that's the, that's pretty good. And you go to the you know you go to the local coffee shop like you, like you know what I'm saying like why is it coffee why I don't I don't I still don't why understand. is it wine why is it food why is it wine, all things that go through our mouth is that the taste I, I no, show that I have like, nuanced taste because my tongue tastes nuanced things. It just seems like you don't see band guys hanging out at the hookah place going for like extreme falafels <laughs> and you know like dude i found the best falafel ever it's just it's always coffee you know i don't know i just can't figure that well, out well i i i do think i think you're actually i think in the foodie world there's also the extreme falafel because i know some places i know a few places where you can get dude i can get you the greatest um <laughs> falafel but one of the aspects of me writing this book is that 
because of the sort of ageist thing. I mean, this is a young, although there are a lot of women who work in coffee, this is a young guy thing. And mm. um, there were... You mean you mean young guy thing is the guys behind the business, the selling, the But buying. also the, the passion about coffee. And when I wrote my, when my book came out and certain hipster people realized that I was hanging out, that I, as a um, middle-aged plus woman... Um, was hanging out with the guys who were the coolest of the cool, and I was the one who had access. <laughs> there, there was a, yeah. a, a real blowback about that. Well, they were angry? Oh, boy. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it didn't seem fair. I, I had people who told me that um, Dwayne Sorensen of Steptown was God. Dwayne is wow. God. I mean, this this is... Um, God in a cup. Yeah, well, when people's identity are gets all wrapped up, in any kind of product. The joy of it is, I know the secret and you don't. It's almost like you have to get past the elitist snobbery and say, hey, we're going to have the best coffee in town and board games. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if we have board games here because we make great coffee. We know we make great coffee. If you don't think so, move on down the road. But everything in here. See, that's, that's, that's my attitude is like, I think people who do that get it. Like, they love it, but it's not. Like they exclude people because of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a I, that, and that's a lovely philosophy. And I would say that's how I, you know, at a certain point in your life, whether it's thirty or much older than thirty, when you start to get it, you get a sort of generosity. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a sort of generosity of spirit in what you just said, and and so and the generosity extends to the people perhaps who grew your coffee and the people who are roasting it. But there's a, it's not a, nah, 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 nah. it's outwards. Well, it's so funny how the parallels with this and religion, <laughs> yes. the whole God in a cup thing. It's like, it starts as this exclusion. Like it can easily be this exclusive, like us versus them in group versus out group. We know the best. We have the truth. We have the source versus those people who are going around doing everything in coffee hell. And then you you elevate your mind, you transcend that position to include, uh, you know, people on the outside and be generous, like you said, have a generosity about it um, in, in the way that you educate people. And it's just so funny how that parallels with um, with a lot of like religious practice. We can just see the we can see the elitists and we can see the inclusivists uh you know, and and somehow this coffee thing has become like a spiritual identity thing, almost. Yes, but nobody, we don't know anyone in coffee who's recommending the beheading or the, <laughs> <laughs> the beheading of those who drink, who do drink their coffee with hazelnut syrup. So, <laughs> not yet. But it's a new religion. It'll get there. <laughs> it'll get there. Yeah, it'll it'll devolve. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and have you talked to John Sylvan at all, the K-Cup inventor? No. I traveled with the peop- with the buyer from that company that wound up buying Keurig, um, and they're called Green Mountain Coffee. Right. They're a pretty good group. Well, he, you know, the thing about him is that, like, he kind of came out and said that uh, 
Well, he sold the company for like 50 grand, so he's probably a little bit bitter. About I'll that. say. You know, he <laughs> kind of came out and sort of said he wished he hadn't have done it. He thought it was going to be more of like an individual experience, but then it just became this manufactured thing. And that to me is like the moment in the religion when it just gets manufactured and every every billboard has a Bible verse on it. Cookie, and then cookie cutter di- dispersal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I am I am one of those people. So I'm a consumer of, of the Keurig. I have I used the K-Cups. And to be. Uh, I make me feel guilty about that. I don't know much about it. I haven't looked into it. But what is what is what is the bad part of that? And I because I also have a Chemex, uh, you know, pour over thing that I do on special occasions. But I'm a bit of a utility guy and I like efficiency. And so just popping it in in the morning is really simple. But what am I doing? How am I harming the earth? I, I'm not necessarily sure you're harming the earth. You're, um, you know, it's you're drinking mass produced coffee. I haven't had curry recently. Um, the quality used to be B to B, slightly B plus. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a B, maybe. I mean, that's good. I mean, sure, because I, I think Keurig is buying decent coffee. And I, you know, as I, I don't, I haven't followed it recently. The Green Mountain Coffee Company used to be that owned Keurig, and now they were bought by somebody else, but... Uh, they were good corporate citizens. So I drink Green Mountain and I drink uh, Costco brand stuff. Well, I think it's more about the actual K cups. It's not. It's not really the coffee. It's more like the fact that it's just a super wasteful way. I get. I, I get some carbon credits here because you know both Nate and I. We don't. We we like we said we work from home so i don't commute i'm not sitting on the freeway with uh you know and this is just my guilt talking i'm not sitting on the freeway idling my engine all day long like all my friends in seattle uh who who drive to work so i feel like i have some credits here like i can you know i can have a few k cups and that's okay your generation is so weighted down with guilt <laughs> yeah you're you're right you poor bastards you know <laughs> <laughs> We're all finding our way through the through the, that morass, though, right? How do we be decent, decent citizens of the earth? You know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about coffee because there's a piece about it that's so into. I have never met a person who didn't want to tell me that their coffee was the best. The same goes for music hmm. too. Like I know the best bands, I know the best music, I know the best blogs. Right, beca- because the with coffee. So you, first of all, you associate it with the morning. You're unguarded. If you're, you know, you're probably, you're off, you may very well not be dressed. You certainly don't have your makeup on if you're a woman. You know, you're just, it's, it's this vulnerable time of day and it's often the first thing you consume. And it has an intimacy as a product that say, um, that a lot of other things don't have. And it's addictive. Mm. And there, so there's a dependency as well. Mm. You know, I it, it's funny because I would when I give talks, I, I'm so amused often that people just want to tell me what coffee they drink and they want to tell me why it is the best coffee. And sometimes it's decent coffee and sometimes I know it to be really direct. What is the best coffee? Just tell us. <laughs> Here's one that you didn't hear before. Coffee is a seasonal product. So right now, and you really want to be. Let's see, what month is this? So coffee. So you're you're sort of drinking Africans now because they were um, they arrived in the fall and they sat and they've been roasted and the Latin American coffees are just being harvested now. So you're going to drink those in a couple of months. And coffee coffee is a seasonal product that grows around the world along the equator, 
And if you're really paying attention, you're not drinking the same coffee all year long. Now, uh, a lot of good roasters make blends, and then what I've just said becomes a little bit moot. But the best coffee is a coffee that you've bought from a roaster who cares, and you've paid attention, and you maybe talk to the roaster about what you're drinking, and you buy one pound, and you grind it at home, and you drink it. And then you buy another pound, and you and the roaster says, oh, well, we just got this in, and I think it's really nice. What do you think? The problem is that um, climate change is having a huge impact on the amount of coffee that's available in the world. And Yeah, I've heard there's a lot of disease now. That, well, yes, and it's caused by, um, I mean, Latin America was really hard hit, and it, it was caused by the change in climate. Uh, what's interesting is that growing coffee more carefully can counteract some of the climate change stuff. And, and, and also you have to, you know, I know in, um, so in this series, on, I've been writing for Sprudge, which is an online publication that devoted to coffee. I talked to a woman in um, El Salvador who's a grower and represents a whole bunch of growers in El Salvador. And so they were ripping up their diseased trees. They've replanted trees that are more disease resistant and in the replanting they're really paying attention to quality because they can get um, better pay for their coffee. One of the questions I always ask coffee farmers is are your children going in the business? Because when the business is healthy and the market is healthy, coffee makes enough money so that young people can be educated and then but they want to stay on the farm. They might get a right. business degree and then they want to stay on the farm. It's viable and that's good for the universe. That's good for the world. So Right. There's trends and counter trends going on simultaneously. Some people think there won't be any great coffee left in 25 years, but I'm Wow. Like the banana <laughs> because of diseases and such? Disease and climate change and, and the right. fact, blah, blah, blah. And the fact that young people don't want to be on the top of the mountain, you know, earning garbage money. I'm right. more optimistic than that. Well, I mean, the demand will always create uh, the supply. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it works. And the demand doesn't seem to be going away. No. Uh, have, have you ever written about the com- a comparison between the tea industry and the coffee industry like tea seemed to boom in like the 1700s uh (laughs) and then and then like you know england obviously known well i don't know it seemed to be like i don't know i was just looking up on wikipedia it was like an exotic thing and then it became like the main thing and i know i talked to my bloke friends and they're like yeah i'm making tea for my kids so they serve their kids like tea every day um i wonder what the parallels might be between the coffee industry in, in in america and the tea industry in uh, Great Britain as far as how it blew up and how it becomes a mainstay um, and then how it changes over time from that, you know, like you said, colonial uh, idea to to going direct and um, how it morphs over time. I don't know if you've ever done a comparison study. But- I, I haven't done a comparison study. There is There are overlaps with the industry. Uh, I, as I said, I think you can only be obsessed with a couple of things. I... Um, <laughs> I know people, you know, Intelligentsia is one very high quality roaster. And they, their name of that company is Intelligentsia Coffee Roaster and Coffee and Tea. And um, there are a lot of analogs. I think the tea business, my understanding, and I might be wrong about this, if coffee has taken some steps to decolonialize itself, I believe the tea industry is more. It has not. That's my sense. Um, you know, like 
Kenya grows both. Um, I, I really don't know that much about tea, but I but some coffee people yeah. are very obsessed. I um, and until you go to the UK, you don't really understand how uh, obsessed they are with tea. Like when we went over there, I think my my band did four tours in the UK. And every time they would have like the sound guys would always have their break to go get tea, and they had the tea set up, and then all the bands would go to the tea, and all the American guy, bands were like, "What the tea? Okay." <laughs> and everywhere you went, there was just a tea set up, no matter where you were. It's always like, tea. It's a thing. In the UK, they do tea. So uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering. It's got to be similar. I mean, it's a drink. It's it's infused water. It's hot. It's grown. It uh, everybody has it all day long. It's become a cultural phenomenon, yeah. and it doesn't seem to be going away. And it has caffeine, so it has addictive uh, qualities go. and health benefits. So, do they? Do, I mean, you know. Um, so, is that a, if that's their upper? Then is is uh, is is grass the downer or beer or? <laughs> I don't know. I'd say beer. Beer's the downer yeah. there for yeah, sure. They, <laughs> drinking age is like what nineteen, eighteen there. So yeah. yeah. The fans were always a little bit drunker than than, than anywhere than the else American in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Especially in Scotland, it was actually afraid at times. Like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm scared right now. It's funny in 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 Scotland, the biggest drink of Scotland is this really terrible orange soda called Iron Brew, and the Scottish like I got in this big debate with all these kids after a show and they bought me one and they said, this is bigger than any drink and everyone loves it. And it's this terrible orange soda. And it's just weird that certain parts of the world, people are really into their beverages. You know, after come, traveling the world and coming home, I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't really understand the, the movement and why people and the taste. It's like, how can an entire country just be into this terrible orange soda and they'd love it? But... Nobody here likes it or listens to it. So does it have a lot of sugar? It's like a, a orange slice, but just goes the just like somebody poured something sour in it. It's weird. Um, <laughs> so sorry to our Scottish listeners. I know there's at least a few, but hey man, my last name's Scottish. I'm offended. Yeah, mine too. But it's that's the thing. It's like I just didn't I didn't understand it. So anyway. It, we should we should probably wrap up and let Michael take off and uh, enjoy part of her day because we've true. been taking up a lot of her time. Uh, I, I see that um, now you spell your name a special way, so I'm going to tell people your uh, your your website. Michael Weisman writes, uh, but it's M I C H A E L E. Yep. Weisman writes at or just dot com. Yeah, sorry. And is there anything else that uh, you know people can find your your work at or um, anywhere online? Well, well, yeah. I mean, they can. I've I've written three books, and they can look on Amazon for my for my coffee book, and they can look at my website. They can look on the Washington Post website because I write. Um, I do. I write long prof- profiles for the Washington Post fairly often, and um, awesome. If you Google me. Uh, all, all sorts of weird things come up. <laughs> Same with us. Same with us. Lots of weird uh, pictures of hair. That's the that's the problem. They, yeah, absolutely. Well, God in a Cup: The Obsessive Quest for the Perfect Coffee is uh, the book that we were kind of discussing here. But you write a bunch of stuff about a bunch of things, so you can check out um, Michael's uh, work at michaelweismanwrites.com. Thank you for coming on our show and sharing a lot of insights. We've uh, we've really I've really appreciated this uh, conversation. So thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you. You guys are great. Thanks very much for having me. No problem. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. 
You're the cream in my coffee You're the salt in my stew You will always be mine, Sasty I'd be lost without you You're the starch in my collar You've lace in my shoe You will always be mine, Sasty I'd be lost without you Most men tell love tales And each phrase dovetails You've heard each known wave This way Beethoven Track one, side one of the Fifth Symphony. How can someone who has no interest in music own a record store? Do you still have that uh, beef our French import safe as well? Um, let's see. Ah, yes, here it is. Yes. How much you want for it? Ah. Uh, this, oh no, you know what? I don't think I'm selling it this week. Maybe next oh, week. Oh no, you said that last week. Did I? Yeah, well, I just. I. I played. You know, I don't have that record. I'll buy it for 40. We're up. So. Now, why would you sell it to me and not to him? Because you're not a geek, Lewis. You guys are snobs. No, we're not. No, seriously, you're totally elitist. You feel like the unappreciated scholars, so you shit on the people who know less than you. No. no which is everybody. Yeah. Yes. It's just sad. That's all.